Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Well, good morning, friends. My name is Jenna. If we haven't met, I'm the executive pastor here at Awaken, and I will be leading us in our call to worship this morning. Our call to worship is from a book of prayers entitled Odd to Heaven and Rooted in Earth by Walter Brueggemann. So I'd invite you, if you are able, to please stand as we prepare our hearts for worship this morning. This prayer is entitled At the Dawn. Our first glimpse of reality this day, every day, is your fidelity. We are dazzled by the ways you remain constant among us, in season, out of season, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health. You are there in watchfulness as we fall asleep. You are there in alertness when we awaken, and we are glad. Before the day ends, we will have occasion to flag your absence in indifference, but not now, not at the dawn. Before the day ends, we will think more than once that we need a better deal from you, but not now, not at the dawn. Before the day ends, we will look away from you and relish our own fidelity and our virtue and mercy, but not now, not at the dawn. Now, at the dawn, our eyes are fixed on you in gladness. We ask only that your faithfulness permeate every troubled place we are able to name, that your mercy move against the hurts to make new, that your steadfastness hold firmly what is too fragile on its own. And we begin the day in joy, in hope, and in deep gladness. Amen. Um, Well, welcome to you if you are visiting or new this morning. It can be a big deal to come to a church for the first time. We're really glad you're here. If anyone is interested in connecting at Awaken, there is a connection card in front of you, or you can go on to our website and click the button that says I'm new. Someone from our staff will contact you, and we would love to take you out for a beverage of your choice, get to know you a little bit. Um... That card or any tithes and offerings can go into the black boxes. You can also give online. We're very grateful for that. I don't know if you saw Awaken is hiring for a couple of positions, which we're really excited about. Um, Part of what your giving actually provides is um, staffing. And I think we all really value taking good care of our staff. Um, everyone gets benefits packages. Those are big things. So that's a little bit of what you participate in um, when you give financially. So we're very grateful for that. Um, Lots of things coming up. I can't believe Easter is, what, two weeks away? I don't know. My brain can't (laughs) quite comprehend how fast spring has gone so far, or winter. It is not spring. My apologies, everyone. (laughs) Um, Lots of things coming up, though. If you are a creative, so many things happen in our artist community. Two of those things, April 6th, there is going to be an artist mingle. It's a Seder dinner version of it. So if you're interested in that, you can register online. 
And then the following week, there is an artist book study that will be starting. It's a book by Howard Thurman called Jesus and the Disinherited. Again, you can register for that on the website. Saturday, April 22nd, Awaken is hosting a neighborhood event. It's a good old-fashioned pancake breakfast in the church basement. Um, after, I think there are like two different seatings. You can find that information on the website. But after, we'll be partnering with our neighborhood to do a little neighborhood cleanup on Earth Day. Um, so you can get tickets online. We're also looking for about 13 more volunteers. So if you're able to serve for that event, we would really appreciate it. Again, go to the website. There's, there's lots on there. Um, third, this is why I'm doing community life. I didn't trust Micah to get this announcement quite right. Um, but we, <laughs> we are, our neighborhood for the past 30-some years have hosted an event called the Women's Ecumenical Luncheon. Um, for those of you who have no idea what that means, that just means that women from churches in the neighborhood gather together once a year. We have lunch together. We tell stories about what God is doing in our community, both neighborhood and perspective um, or individual communities. It is a really beautiful time and... I think really important that we show up to that. Um, we have been invited to bring the dinner rolls this year. The first year we were invited to bring the mints. So, I don't know, it's a, it's a pretty big deal. Uh, so if you identify as a woman, this event is for you. You can register online and indicate if you are willing to bring a dozen dinner rolls. <laughs> Um, and then last, we have a couple lunches that we're hosting over at St. Paul Tap. So kids community lunch and queer community lunch. I am not 100% certain that they know many people are coming. So please just be kind and tip well. Um, that is all I have. I would love to take this opportunity to introduce our speaker this morning. Um, quoted in Christianity Today, formerly and currently suspended, lead pastor, Micah Witham. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Welcome to Awaken, everybody, where we take Jesus seriously, but not ourselves. Um... It is week five of Lent, which is great. Uh, Lent is the season in the church between Ash Wednesday and Easter. Uh, traditionally, historically, a season of preparation for baptismal candidates. So Easter Sunday morning was the morning where many were baptized, and so Lent was a period of, of preparation, of repentance, of intention, uh, thinking about this movement of death to resurrection. Um, so that's where we are this morning. I want to begin with a story. Some of you have heard this. If you've been around Awake and you've heard this before, but it's a good one, so I don't think you'll be disappointed. If you're new, uh, well, this is a pretty formative experience in my life. So I grew up playing golf, and um, my grandparents played, my dad played, uh, my brothers and I all played, and um, I got to be pretty, pretty decent at a, as a golfer uh, in high school made it to the state tournament a couple times, ended up getting a partial scholarship to play golf at Colorado Christian University, home of the Cougars. Yeah, a couple, there we go, yep. Um, 
and uh, did fine my, my collegiate career. My junior year, I had a bit of a slump, and um, 72 is par, that's pretty good, and I just figured out a way every time in a tournament to shoot 82, which is not very good for college golfers on scholarship, and it was, it was bad. I had a really bad year, and um, I had a hard time controlling my temper. If you want to see angry Pastor Micah take me golfing, Patrick, you've seen it before, uh, Troy, you've seen it, uh, or hang out with me when I'm with my younger kids. They're all older now, so that season's over, thank God. <clears throat> um, and it was the last tournament of my, my junior year, the sectional tournament before regionals, before nationals, so it was a big deal. We are leading the tournament after day one. Uh, big deal, a lot of pressure. So day two comes around, I'm grinding, I'm on like hole 15 or 16 at the end of the day, end of the day. Uh, and I'm standing on a par five, you know, 100 yards out, and I just shanked one, which is, a, it's called a hosel rocket. Basically, it goes that way instead of that way. It's terrible. So I shank it into the woods, and I just lose it. I get really mad. I take my bag up to the green. I slam it on the ground. I throw my hat on the ground and sulk around kind of like a six-year-old would. Unbeknownst to me, there was a five-star retired colonel from the Air Force Academy in a cart, like, in the woods, lurking uh, on the backside of the green. Didn't know he was there, and he did not think that this behavior was becoming of a golfer, let alone one from the Christian University down the way. <laughs> so he found my coach and just let him have it. And after the tournament was over, getting in the van to go home, and my coach pulls me out and just dresses me down right in the parking lot. And long story short, ends with Micah... I'm pretty sure there's not a spot for you on the golf team next year. So I got kicked off my college golf team. As uh, I was an RA on campus, I led worship on Tuesday and Thursday. Uh, it, was, it was one of the worst days of my life, looking back. Uh, a moment that was I was embarrassed by, ashamed of, and um, that I do not look back very fondly on. Hold that story, because today we're going to journey, not with, not with Jesus, actually. We've been in the transformation of Jesus over Lent and, and Epiphany. Uh, today we're going to spend some time with Peter. And so uh, if you have a Bible, we're in Mark chapter 14. I think this may be one of the longest chapters in all of the Gospels, 72 verses. We're not going to read all of them. This is just at the end, Mark chapter 14. If you're able, I'd invite you to stand. Jeremy's going to read the text for us. And we'll hear a little bit of Peter's story here at the end of Mark 14. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out of the entryway. When, out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed a second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, 
you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Pray with me if you would. God, this morning as we gather, it's my hope and prayer that you might find us where we are and remind remind us of who we are. That we would see you clearly, whatever images, whatever um, baggage or uh, things have been put on you that are inaccurate and not true, I pray that those would fall away, that we would see you clearly for who you are, and that it would compel us, that it would inspire us, that it would transform us, um, so that we might become more and more the humans that you've created us to be, I pray. In Christ's name and by the power of the Spirit, the church said together, amen. You may be seated. Uh, as you may know, if you've been following along in this series, Mark sandwiches material. So last week we looked at Jesus before the Sanhedrin, and sandwiched on either side of that is Peter. Uh, we're reminded that after the, the Last Supper, uh, Jesus and his or the Garden of Gethsemane, excuse me, Jesus is arrested, and Peter follows. It says that he followed closely, and he was warming his hands by the fire. By the way, no other disciple is to be found any, at, at this point. They've all scattered, so Peter's the only one who's still hanging in there. He's uh, in proximity to Jesus. And then we see Jesus before the Sanhedrin that we studied last week, and then it followed by this story of Jesus being denied by Peter. And I want to follow Peter this morning because... Um, I think there's some things that are, uh, boy, what will I say, really important to being human and to uh, following the way of Jesus, being on the spiritual life and path. Uh, so a little bit of background, and, and then uh, we'll, we'll, we'll draw a few nuggets from Peter's life. Um, Peter was born in Bethsaida, which is north of the Sea of Galilee. He was a fisherman. He was one of two brothers, Andrew and Peter, were the first two disciples to be called by Jesus. Jesus comes to them, finds them fishing, says, throw out your nets on the other side. They catch a big thing. Jesus says, put your nets away, come and follow me. So they're the first two disciples to say yes. Uh, Peter is also the first person of the disciples, the apostles, to, uh, to declare who Jesus was. Uh, who do you say I am? Lots of controversy and conversation around who is this guy? John the Baptist, Elijah, a prophet? We don't know. Peter says, you're the Christ. Correctly. And Jesus says, well done, Peter. He changes his name from Simon to Peter and says, upon this rock I will build my church. Peter is also, um, he's asked by Jesus, you know, after a tough teaching, will you all leave me as well? And Peter says, where will we go? In you we found the words of life. Um, according to John, um, Peter and Matthew, Peter walks on water. If you remember that story where there's a storm and the disciples are freaking out and Jesus comes walking on the water and Peter's like, if it's you, Lord, tell me to call me. So he does and he walks on water. Uh, Peter's on the Mount of Transfiguration in Mark chapter 9 we studied a couple weeks ago. He tries to build a house for Jesus and Elijah and Moses. He uh, prepares the upper room for Jesus before the Passover And he is the guy who, uh, according to John, cuts off the ear, unnamed in the other Gospels, but the guy who cuts off the Roman centurion's ear, that was Peter. So um, this story of Peter's denial of Jesus is recorded in every Gospel. Got to make sure we get that in there. And um, if you remove Judas and his betrayal, this is probably the largest or the lowest point and the greatest failure of any of the disciples 
in the gospel. And when you stand back and kind of take a look at the, the whole of the gospels, if you just add up the words spoken by any of the disciples, Peter is absolutely primary. He is the most important character other than Jesus. Um, and if you hold what we've, the little bit that I've shared with you in the gospels, along with John chapter 21, you begin to see this beautiful journey and this transformation of Peter. John 21 is at the end of John, and it's after Jesus' death and resurrection. He's been seen by the disciples a couple of times, and um, they have, they're having a hard time keeping track that this, this, this is him. You know, his resurrected body was different enough, but the same. And so in John 21, I want to read a portion of this because um, this is one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. Uh, and it's, a, it's sort of the full circle that we get with Peter. So we'll pick it up in verse 7. Um, Jesus, or Peter and his buddies are out fishing. They've gone back to fishing. And Jesus meets them. He finds them out on the shore. And he calls to them. And in verse 7 it says, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped in the water. Because that's what you need when you're going swimming. More of your clothes. The other disciples followed in the boat. Like, can you imagine? Peter's just flailing along, and they're like, hey, man, how's it going? Right? <laughs> Towing the net full of fish, they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. Just couldn't handle himself. Jumps in. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153 of them. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I just love that story. Uh, as a guy who got kicked off his college golf team, who made a total mess, which was nobody's fault but my own. And I'm sure that you've probably been there before, where you've just made a mess of it, where you have made some drastic, gigantic mistake, and there's nobody to blame but you. And Jesus says... Hey, friends, haven't you any fish? And makes them breakfast on the shore. This is the first place where Jesus met Peter. I don't know if you caught that. And we're back to that moment. So this morning, I want to offer a couple of takeaways. I'm sure you could do tons with Peter in his life. But I want to offer just a few, which follow a trajectory that I think is a really important one to be reminded of. The first of which is, you are not your worst moment. I want you, maybe as I was sharing that, uh, you thought of a moment, but I'd love for you to just close your eyes for a second and recall, bring to memory, 
a moment that you regret. Maybe it was something you did or something you didn't do. Maybe it was something that you said. But I want you to like, be there. Feel the weight and the gravity of that moment. The disappointment of it. The regret. And now I want you to hear these words. Open your eyes and see my eyes. You are not your worst mistake. You are not your worst decision. You are not a derivative or a sum of your mistake or your mistakes. This is not your identity. It's not the root or the foundation or the bedrock of who you are. It's actually something that's foreign to your identity, other than your identity. Like, you are not a liar. You're a person who made a mistake and said something that maybe you regret. You're not a cheater. You're a person who made a mistake. You're not a divorcee. You're a person whose marriage ended. You are not fill in the blank. Your identity, the essence, the bedrock, the foundation of who or what you are is not a derivative or a sum of your mistakes. Rather, you are an image bearer of God. Before the foundation of the earth, before you did anything, there was something that was true about you, and that is that you carry the divine spark. You represent, you image, you reflect the divine into the world. That is who you are. What you've done or didn't do is something else. But before that moment, before you ever spoke, before you ever acted, you were something. Your essence, your identity, the bedrock of who you were has been declared and is done. It's already stated. And that is you're an image bearer of God. Those two things are different from one another. So you are not your your worst mistake. One of the like, pernicious little fallouts of this idea of original sin, we get this from a guy named Augustine in like the 3rd and 4th century, is you know, this idea that we're born into sin. Like out of the womb, you're inherently guilty, is that we, we, we run the risk of believing that that's actually who I am. It's actually who you are. Like, it's inherent, it's in your DNA, it's, it's part of your essence. And I would just argue that that's not where the Bible starts. The Bible does not begin with, you're a sinner. That's Genesis 3 and 4 in the story. There's actually two really, really, really important chapters before that ever happens. What's stated before that is that you are a creation of the divine, like the divine breath is, is like breathed into you and voila, you're a nefesh, a living soul who is made in the image of God, who bears the image of God. That is your identity. Not what you do, either good or bad. One of my mantras as a parent is I am not the sum of my, my children's decisions. <laughs> right? Which is hard because when they're killing it and they're getting good grades and they're, you know, they're teacher calls, and they're like, man, I just want to call and let you know about your child, and they tell you all this wonderful thing, you're like, that's right, we did that. <laughs> but when they're in, you know, in school suspension, or they've gotten expelled, or they've made a mess of something, you're like, who raised you? You know, I am not the sum of my kids' decisions, good or bad. 
Similarly, you are not the sum of your decisions, good or bad. Something exists before that, and that is your identity, your essence. Inalterable, unchangeable fact. It's easy to believe the lies that we are our worst mistakes. Like when you make it, I'm such an idiot, I'm such a... No, actually you're not that. Something else is true about you and that is not it. If you, which, which isn't to say that like the idea of sin or brokenness isn't a big deal. It is a big deal. Like given enough time, inevitably we all make a mess of it, right? And we all at some point need to be bailed out. We need somebody to rescue us. We need to be ransomed back from whatever we've enslaved ourselves to. That is true. But prior to that, that is not your identity. If you remove that, you become more human, not less human. That is foreign, alien to you. Doesn't mean it's not a big deal and that we need to figure out a way to work with it and, and like, uh, what are we going to do about that? But it's not your identity. It's not who you are. I had coffee with a good friend of mine this week who says this thing before... Uh, He's a pastor in Minneapolis. Before every Sunday, before, they, before he preaches, he reminds his church of this. And he told me, ironically, didn't know what I was talking about, but he said, who you are is more important than what you do, even if what you do gets more attention than who you are. I'll say that again. Who you are is more important than what you do, even if what you do gets more attention than who you are. Like, don't forget that. That one's gold. Put that right in your pocket and take it home with you. Having said that, right, this is true. We're going to build some scaffolding. This is true. Your identity is not the sum of your mistakes or your best days. Something else is true. That comes later, what you do. But who you are is image bearer of God. Having said that, we're not spared from the consequences of our decisions, right? Because they're actual decisions in an actual world that you get to make and I get to make. Peter does not get saved from the fact that he denied Jesus. He will always remember that. He will bear the scar of that moment and that regret. You and I have decisions that we've made, and we will always bear the scars of those moments. We don't get spared from it. We have to actually wrestle with it. So track with me here. We're going to dive a little deeper. When we start talking about this kind of thing, I think it engages a question about God's will and our choice or free will, our our. our opportunity as humans to make a choice. So just because Peter meets Jesus on the shore and cooks him breakfast uh, and, and, you know, invites him to a pretty important role in the story going forward, it doesn't mean that it erases what happened. We get to make real choices and those choices matter, which also means Jesus predicted G Peter's denial, right? He knew it was coming. But I want to suggest that that doesn't mean that that was God's will, I'm working with the definition of God's will, which is God's plan or intention in creation. So what is God's will? It's what God plans. It's what God intends for in creation. I don't think God wills bad things. I don't think God wills darkness and evil and death into the world. Follow me. If God is love, if God is light, if God is beauty and goodness and truth and all those things, and there is no shadow, there is no evil, there is no death in God, then how can God will that into the world? 
It's not a part of who God is. So I don't think God's up there going, here's what we need to have happen. We need Peter to deny Jesus or regret he will have for the rest of his life so that my plan can come true. No, I don't think that's true at all. What does that say about God? I don't think God's up there saying, I need this person to get cancer and die a terrible death so that no, no, no. I don't think that's true about God. God's plan, God's will is good, is love, is light, is hope. And we as humans get the freedom to participate in that, and sometimes we don't. So why is there evil? Why is there suffering in the world? That is a very complicated question which has more to do with us than it does the essence and the being of God. So this is true about your inherent identity, right? You are an image bearer of God. We make choices that cause messes in the world, and we are, we're not spared from the consequences of those decisions. They're real choices that we get to make. The gospel, the good news, man, is the fact that God is the kind of God that even this is true, your inherent identity, image bearer of God, like, inalterable, spark of the divine, but make choices that just don't make any sense. God still is always found in the midst of our messes and our mistakes, working to bring death from life, resurrection. That's why Easter's so cool, because it tells us what God is like. It means that, no, God's not up there pulling levers, bringing evil and death into the world in, on your behalf. No, no, God is found in the midst of our mistakes, in our wreckage, working moving, inviting, healing, bringing hope and restoration because that's what God is like. That's good news. That's gospel. I think that's what God is like. And I think scripture bears witness to it. So the goal then of Christian life, it's not to get it perfect. It's not to get it right. On this side of death, it's an asymptote. It's always approaching, never reaching. We will never attain perfection in this life. We're striving, we're moving, so the goal isn't perfection. That comes in resurrection after death, where we're, we're made whole. We're in communion with the divine. On this side of death, what is the goal then? It's just keep moving. Don't stop. Like, can you just take one more step? Can you just point your life towards Jesus, who's gone before you, and just keep moving? You know? When you're merging out of the highway, just keep moving. Don't stop. Don't slow down. For God's sakes, don't slow down. So this thing that we call the spiritual life and faith, it's not about attaining perfection. It's about movement. And in that movement, trusting that this is true about who you are, even in the midst of this, because this is what God is like, and so you move. You take one more step, and you trust that in the process, God, through this work of the Spirit in your life, is changing you and transforming you, making you more and more and more. That's why I pray that on Sundays. More and more and more like the human that God knows and planned and, and intends for you to be. Come on! So my question for you this morning is, will you just take one step? towards the Jesus who has gone before you and trust that that's what God is like. 
Why do I believe that's what God is like? How do I know that's true? Well, I believe it on faith, but part of the reason I believe it's true is because of John 21. Jesus knows it all. He knows everything Peter has done. All the missteps, all the mistakes, all the guffaws, all the troubles, and the things that we don't know about. He has TMZ full access. <laughs> yeah. like we, he, he knows Peter's going to deny him before anything ever happens. So Jesus has got the full vault of Peter's, you know. And still, he says, haven't you any fish? Haven't you any breakfast? Come, gather around. All you refugees who've wandered, who have lost their homes, who feel alone, come. There's enough for everybody. Even with all the knowledge, Jesus still gives a meaningful invitation to Peter. Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Do this really important thing. I'm inviting you. So I don't know where you've come from today. I don't know what you're carrying. I don't know what mistake came to your mind. I don't know what you felt in that moment. But I want to be one to remind you that the story of the gospel, the good news of God, is that you are inalterably made in the image of God. That is your inherent identity and value and worth. Nothing, nothing, nothing can change that. Not what you do or don't do. Not what you say or don't say. That is true. God has already said yes to you. It doesn't mean when we make choices and mistakes that we don't have to live with the consequences of that and work it out and be forgiven and restore and redeem. Yeah, that's what life is. And in the midst of that good news, friends, you're not alone. There is a God who enters into Emmanuel. Oh my gosh, it's not even Christmas. <laughs> enters into the story, is found bringing beauty from ashes, light from dark, death, life from death. And still says to you, for this season, for this day, for this moment, here's an invitation. Will you join me in the work? of redeeming all things? Will you be my partner in redeeming and restoring all that God has made good? I mean, the patience. <laughs> if you're a parent in the room, <laughs> your kids are just like, how many times do I have to say, please, do the dishes. Put away the mayonnaise. The patience, it's just, it's unbelievable, quite frankly. So to you this morning, we're going to take a moment before we come to this table, a reminder, bread and fish, nope, sorry, bread and wine, breakfast, a meal, and an invitation. If for whatever way you've lost the plot, that you've forgotten who you are, if you've believed the lies that you're not worthy, that you're not worth it, that you're irredeemable, you're not. And if every week we come to this table for a bunch of reasons, but one just to remind you, 
So let me offer a word of prayer. And as I do, I'd love for you to consider, like, what is the invitation? What's my invitation? Because mine's not yours and yours isn't mine. And yours may change over time. And today it might be different than it was a year ago. So pray with me. God, this morning as we take a few moments to be still, to be quiet, to listen to our hearts, and to listen to your spirit, I pray and ask that you would remind us of who we are, that in the midst of, despite our mistakes, our misgivings, our regrettable choices, you offer forgiveness and restoration and are found in our midst, bringing life from death. So do it again today, I pray. And I pray that you would be clear, that we would hear your voice and your invitation to us for today. So Holy Spirit, speak. As we close this morning, we want to invite you to this table. It's the... On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. In the same way, after dinner, he took a cup and he blessed it and said, this is my blood, which has been shed for you. So whenever you eat of this meal or drink of this cup, do it in remembrance of me. This is the table of the Lord, not of the church. It's made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God. Those who have been here often, or maybe it's been a while, or maybe never before, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. So come and be reminded of the story that you're participating in, that you're invited to participate in. So in just a minute, we'll have, we'll have you come down the side aisles. Uh, there's invite you to take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup. There's red wine. There's white grape juice. Uh, before that, the kids will come forward and we'll bless them with honey. Um, so respond today. Listen. Um, say Yes to whatever God's inviting you to. To the church gathered this morning, uh, I love Peter for so many reasons, um, but one of them is you just see the gospel good news of God so clearly in his life. So be reminded that what is true about you is that you are an image of God, inalterable, once in a lifetime, and even in the midst of your mistakes, your misgivings, your failures, that God is found working to bring life from death. So say yes. Say yes to it. And know that you've been invited to partner with God in the renewal of all things. So go being sent, uh, commissioned by the church this morning to be that in the world, to be good news, to be Eucharist. And we'll look forward to hearing the stories next week. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the church said together, amen. Grace and peace. You can find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.